Hello, it is Thursday, the 29th of December, and welcome to our final Career 24 of 2022. I'm your host, Kwon j a n g w o At least five people have died in a fire that has broken out after a traffic collision in a tunnel along an expressway in Hwachun, Gyeonggi Province. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. The South Korean men's national football team has been chosen as our People of the Year for their outstanding performance at the 2022 World Cup. We speak to the team's former assistant coach for a special interview today. And then coming up, we have a special movie spotlight as well, announcing the winners of the 2022 Korea 24 Film Awards as chosen by critics. Let's begin. Korea 24. We unfortunately begin our final show of the year with a tragic incident that has taken place on an expressway in Kwachon, just south of Seoul. At least five people are dead and some 30 others wounded in a fire that broke out in a noise barrier tunnel. After a traffic accident, our KBS World Radio news editor Gu Hijin joins us in the studio now to give us more details. Hijin, hello, it's good to see you. Hello, Jiang. So the initial distress call came in at 1:49 p.m. and we're still receiving updates regarding the fire. What can you tell us at this point? Well, according to disaster officials on Thursday, the fire broke out after a bus and a truck collided inside the tunnel along the second Kyongin Expressway, connecting the western port city of Incheon to Songnam City. It then quickly spread throughout the tunnel and caused massive billows of smoke. Uh, about 50 uh, fire trucks and 140 firefighters and rescue workers, as well as several uh, helicopters, rushed to the scene to. Control the flames and help the victims. Many of the injured were suffering from smoke inhalation and were rushed to nearby hospitals. Authorities plan to determine the exact cause of the fire as soon as it is under control. Officials have closed off a kilometer section in both directions of National Route 47, where the tunnel is located, as molten debris from the tunnel ceiling spills onto the road. President Yoon s e o k y e o l has instructed his health. And interior ministers to ensure a thorough search of the site after being briefed on the fire. Yes, and our hopes and prayers go to the victims, families, as well as firefighters and paramedics on site. Let's turn now to tensions on the Korean Peninsula. President Yoon Suk-yeol vowed to make North Korea realize that it has a bitter price to pay for its provocations. He was speaking during a visit to a state-run agency in charge of developing the latest in military technology. Can you tell us more? Well, during a visit to the state-run agency for defense development, or ADD, on Thursday, President Yoon said an incursion into South Korean airspace by North Korean drones was unacceptable. He said, "Only decisive retribution can deter aggression and acts that threaten freedom, and urged the nation to never fear or hesitate, sending a clear message, even if the enemy has a nuclear arsenal or any weapons of mass destruction." Yes, and the president was reiterating his comments from the previous day after he dressed down his uh, defense minister Lee Jong Sup for failing to intercept the. Aerial vehicles from North Korea on Monday, mm-hmm. uh, but this time he spoke in front of all his top military commanders and security advisers. Indeed, attending the speech were Defense Minister 
Lee, um, Yun's national security advisor, Kim Song-an, and the heads of the army, the navy and the air force. Yun called for a reinforcement of the country's response to all types of aerial vehicles that violate its sovereign airspace, as well as the uh, military's plan to bolster its firepower amid the North's push to enhance its asymmetric warfare capabilities. The president added that a pretense of peace cannot safeguard the nation's security and may even crack its very foundations. He said that to ensure true peace, the South should make overwhelmingly superior war preparations. Meanwhile, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un also called for the Workers' Party to bolster its fighting efficiency. It seems both Koreas are boosting their war rhetoric now. Hee-jin, what can you tell us about uh, Kim's comments? Well, according to the North's state-run Korean Central News Agency on Thursday, Kim made the comments through, uh, during the sixth plenary meeting of the 8th Central Committee of the party on Wednesday. During that meeting, Kim said the party has seen many changes and advances in its activities this year, calling for party organisers to ceaselessly uh, increase their fighting efficiency. The KCNA said Kim also called for increasing the roles of regional party committees and their chief secretaries to help implement the party policies. The meeting will likely continue for several days. In other news, the former defence minister Seo and the former National Intelligence Service chief Pak Ji-won have been, indi- have been indicted on charges related to the handling of the death of a fisheries official by North Korean soldiers in 2020. What can you tell us? Well, the Seoul Central District Prosecutor's Office on Thursday charged Seoul with abuse of authority for his role in the alleged cover-up of the death of the official Idejun while serving in the Moon Jae-in administration. Uh, Park and former NIS Chief Secretary Noor eun face charges that include abuse of power and deletion of uh, intelligence reports after the death of Idejun. An audit was revealed that dozens of intelligence reports were deleted at both the NIS and the Defence Ministry after a ministerial meeting was held on September 23rd, the day after Lee was killed. Meanwhile, the prosecution plans to continue investigating former National Security Advisor Sohun on similar charges of destroying intelligence documents in an attempt to corroborate the former administration's conclusions. In other political news, the National Assembly, dominated by the main opposition Democratic Party, has voted against a motion to allow the arrest of DP lawmaker Nong Le on bribery charges. Can you elaborate? Well, the Assembly held a plenary session on Wednesday afternoon and rejected the motion in a vote of 161 to 101 with nine abstentions. The DP holds a parliamentary majority with 169 seats. The four-time lawmaker is accused of receiving 60 million won in illegal funds from a businessman around the time of the 2020 parliamentary elections in return for business favours, nor has uh, strongly denied the allegations. The prosecution requested an arrest warrant for Noor on December 12th on charges of bribery and violations of P- Political Fa- Funds Act. The parliamentary vote was held as the prosecution must obtain the Assembly's consent to detain lawmakers according to a law granting them immunity while Parliament is in session. 
We'll wrap it up there for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. Amid headlines about the struggling economy, political bickering, North Korea missiles and the prolonged pandemic, there was one story that brought the nation together towards the end of the year, and that was the South Korean national men's football team and their outstanding performance at the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. They reached the round of 16 for the first time in 12 years, and their gutsy performances brought joy and pride to the nation that's why we here at Career 24 has chosen them as People of the Year for 2022. And for that now, we have a special guest joining us. Uh, we have the former assistant coach of the Tegel Warriors, Sergio Costa, standing by on a video call now. I'm delighted to welcome him to the show. Mr. Costa, hello and thank you for your time today. Good evening. It's a pleasure to, to be here with you. And uh, first of all, I would like to, to wish uh, a very, very good 2023 to all the Korean people. Yes, and we wish you a happy new year as well. It's an absolute pleasure and honour to have you on the show today to uh, celebrate this fact that the team, uh, we have chosen the team as our People of the Year. And of course, uh, it's not just the players, but the backroom staff as well, such as the former head coach Paolo Bento and yourself uh, that has contributed uh, to their success. It's uh, been almost a month since you left Qatar now, but looking back, how would you describe your time in Qatar? Uh, how will it be remembered in your life? Well, uh, being in the Qatar World Cup was since the beginning uh, our main aim. And it was uh, such a fantastic experience, such a magical experience, and I will keep it for the rest of my life. Um, when I remember uh, the times that we passed all together, uh, 22 days, uh, four matches, a lot of training sessions, uh, a lot of meetings, individual meetings, uh, collective meetings, uh, I have uh, two points that I will never forget. First of all, the, the, the commitment that all the staff, the commitment that all the players and the technical staff had to achieve one aim. The second one was clear, uh, the, the good results that, uh, that we achieved, uh, and the, the fantastic experience that uh, we, we, we could give to all the Korean people. Uh, this, uh, this was, uh, was for, for them, was for our country, for uh, all the, the Korean people, because they, they really deserve it. Sure, it was a great time for the fans, and we'll remember it for a long time, I feel. Uh, let's relive some of the moments, though. Uh, Uruguay was South Korea's first opponent at the World Cup. They are a team known for their top strikers, of course, such as uh, Luis Suarez and Edison Cavani, and many would have expected South Korea perhaps to play on the back foot, to play defensively, but Korea went toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. Uh, even though it ended in a nil-nil draw, Korea very much impressed. Uh, was that the game plan ahead of the match? And how impressed were you uh, that the players were able to pull that off? 
uh, I understand that for the general public, uh, Suarez and Cavani are the most known uh, players of uh, Uruguay. But uh, our game plan was uh, was different. Uh, in our opinion, uh, the the engine of the of the the car, the engine of the team, uh, were Bentancur uh, and Valverde. And our idea, our game plan was block that, that two midfielders, those two midfielders, in order uh, they don't uh, they don't uh, be so influenced as uh, usually they they are. So our main main idea was uh, drive them to the sides, avoid that Valverde and Bentancur uh, receive the ball, and uh, after that uh, we will we will press a lot on the corners. Offensively, our idea was play outside of the dead block. Hmm. Uh, we knew that they are really strong in their pressure. Uruguay is a really aggressive team, and we don't want to, to be pressed from behind. So uh, our idea was uh, try to find the depth space and the spaces uh, around their block, not inside. Sure, and the players, uh, they seem to have pulled off the tactics uh, well and the performance uh, really raised people's uh, hopes against the next opponent, Ghana, uh, which ended up being a very exciting game, but one which uh, Team Korea lost three goals to two. And also head coach Paolo Bento was shown a red card at the end of after a heat exchange with the referee. Uh, how frustrating was that game? And what went through your mind when you saw that uh, Bento had received the red card? Well, uh, first of all, uh, it was a really unfair result. We played really well and we deserved not uh, even uh, through the match, but we deserved to win that, uh, that match. Uh, then, answering to the, to the second question, uh, I feel sad for Paulo. Paulo is uh, one of my best friends. He's a very, good, very good professional and he didn't deserve that. I was there. Uh, Paulo, until the, the moment of the send-off, Paulo didn't say nothing bad to the referee. Mm. He was just asking why he didn't allow, uh, like in the first half, in the first half he did, uh, why he didn't allow that uh, the corner was kicked? Mm. Because it was a chance. And the referees should understand also that there are a lot of emotions in the air. And we are not, we are just human beings, and it should be a little bit more wise uh, in that in that moment. But uh, honestly, I I feel bad. I feel bad for for Paulo. We we want the, the the best for for our friends. We want the best for our team, and it was a bad moment for for everybody. Sure, the red card meant that uh, Coach Bento could not be in the dugout for the final group game against Portugal, which meant it could have been his final game for uh, South Korea as well. Uh, you ended up being in charge uh, for that match, in fact, and that's probably where most uh, Korean fans uh, will know you from, overseeing the team from the sidelines for that Portugal game. Uh, how did it feel to be in that position uh, to lead the team for that final group game? Did you feel any pressure because there was so much on the line as well no i didn't feel <laughs> any, any any pressure i will uh, i will confess you one thing that i i didn't uh, i didn't uh, say to anything to anybody uh, eight eight days before of that match uh, my daughter was in the, in the hospital and, uh, and in the day of the match 
she's still uh, she's still there. And two hours before the match, uh, she she left the, the hospital and she was okay. So this is the big pressure that I have in my life. Wow, this okay. Is the, the big pressure everybody uh, should feel in their life. Then it, it was just a game. It was just a game. My only doubt on that game is how I could react. Uh, I would react in the in the moment of the anthems. Uh, this was my my big my big doubt. Then when the the anthems uh, finish, it was just a normal game. I was calm. I was quiet. I was focused in the in the game. I was trying to do everything in order Korea win that match. So uh, the only thing that uh, this match had been special was uh, that uh, I knew uh, deeper the opponent than, than the, the other ones. Yeah. Uh, even if the other ones already, we, we also knew really well, but this one is normal that, uh, that I knew better. It was a nail-biting end to that game as well. You needed to win. South Korea needed to win and also have the results in the other game, the Uruguay-Ghana game, uh, end in our favour to advance to the next round. Uh, the Tiger Warriors, they did their part, getting the 2-1 win against Portugal. But then after the match, you had to wait for the uh, group, other Group H game to finish before you knew whether you'd made it into the last 16 or It was a nail-biting uh, 10 minutes or so. It was one of the moments of uh, the World Cup as the players uh, and the coaches were uh, waiting uh, in the centre circle, watching on their phones that uh, other match. What was going through your mind at the time and then how did it feel when you finally found out the result? Well, immediately after, um, the feeling was that we did our part. We did what we could control, and uh, what we could control is winning, is win the match to, against Portugal. After that, uh, were difficult times. Uh, we did uh, we, we could not control uh, anything in a, in, a, in the other match, but um, the energy that uh, we felt on that time, when all the people united in the in a circle, and uh, almost like carrying the 55 million Korean people together, representing that, was uh, uh, with a lot of faith, a lot of hope, and uh, for sure God would be with, with us because we deserve it. Since the first match of the World Cup, we deserve that. We compete in our limits, and only, only with that kind of, uh, of performance we would be able to achieve our main aim. And in that moment, the moment, the eight, eight long minutes after the, after the match, we were all together uh, hoping that uh, the result uh, would be good for us and we go through to the next round. Sure. After that, it was a big explosion and a big party. And uh, <laughs> it was... Uh, one of, mo of, of the most memorable moments. What do you make of the characters of the players? Uh, what kind of people are they? And where do you think the players go from here now? I think that these players represent a lot uh, the Korean people that, uh, that we knew. Uh, these players are humbled, like the Korean people. These players uh, work on their limits, like the Korean people, to achieve their aims. And these players have a, a work ethic 
that I never saw. And uh, these make, make them really, really strong, individual, but essentially collectively. Uh, the, the world don't have uh, the, the perfect idea about the, the, the Korean players. So when the, the world market uh, start to open their eyes to the features of uh, our, our, player, our Korean players, um, I think that, uh, that they will discover uh, a very good market and, uh, and uh, they, will, they, will be, they will be happy with, this, uh, with, uh, our, with our players. Uh, we have uh, sure. some players that uh, sure. and uh, the the feedback that I have about the players that uh, play abroad uh, is really good, and a lot of players that play in the, in the K League have the chances to go to go to Europe, to go abroad, to play uh, in any place in the world. You are now back in Portugal. Finally, what's next for you, and do you miss Korea as well? Yes, I miss a lot Korea. I miss a lot for you. Uh, I will, uh, I will, uh, I will miss for the rest of my life. Uh, I had uh, four and a half years, uh, fantastic. Uh, my family uh, loved Korea. My three children uh, loved Korea, and uh, it will be for the rest of my life. But now the time is uh, time to rest. Uh, enjoy a little bit the family. Enjoy a little bit the country, the friends. And rest, uh, and rest a little bit. We don't know what uh, what comes, uh, what will come after. Uh, for now, we don't have uh, nothing. Uh, just uh, the just the rest, as I mentioned before. Well, we hope you have a good rest. Uh, you fully deserve it as well. Uh, what the team did was really special, and the Korean people were really proud of them. And we're thankful for you and the rest of the backroom staff for what you did as well. Thank you for all that. Uh, we'll wrap it up there today. We've been speaking to the former assistant coach of the Tegok Warriors, Sergio Costa. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank you very much. A wonderful 2023 for all of you. I will miss you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 44.05 points, or 1.93% on Thursday, closing the last trading day of the year at 2,236.40. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, losing 13.08 points, or 1.89%, to close the day at 679.29. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 2.51 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,264.51. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to Korea Trending, our daily segment rounding up some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have Diane Yu joining us in the studio to bring us those stories. Diane, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Jango. It's good to see you. Okay, so we're going to go straight into our stories today. What do you have for us first? Subway and bus fares in Seoul might rise by a few hundred won from as early as next April. The Seoul Metropolitan Government announced on Thursday that it would promote a plan to raise public transportation fares by 300 won, which is about 24 cents. If passed, this will be the first price raise in seven and a half years, as the very last fare increase was back in June 2015. 
The current subway and bus fares, which are 1,251 and 1,201 respectively when paid with a transportation or credit card, are expected to be 1,551 and 1,501. Yes, that's about a 25% hike. So it's mm-hmm. quite a considerable hike indeed. Right. Uh, did the city explain why they needed to raise the fares? Well, the reason why the city is pushing for fare hikes is that the subway and bus operators are in serious financial trouble. According to the city, over the past five years, from 2018 to 2022, the operator of the subway has suffered an annual average loss of about 920 billion won, while the bus operator suffered an average net loss of about 540 billion. That's around 726 million and 426 million U.S. dollars, respectively. The South Korean government's decision to not allocate a budget for public service obligation compensation had an impact on the city's decision as well. It could have made up for the financial deficit caused by the free subway use policy for those aged 65 and older, the underprivileged and people with disabilities. Right. So the Seoul city government has proposed this plan, but it's not... Uh, final yet, there is a decision-making process. Can you walk us through that? Right. The city plans to begin consultations with related organizations participating in the integrated transfer discount system, including Gyeonggi Province and Incheon City, within the year. After a public hearing in January next year and a hearing from the city council in February, the plan is to adjust the rate by the end of April. So it seems like the public might not welcome this news as a price hike is happening in the midst of an economic downturn and inflation. But we'll have to see how the result comes out in April. And our team, Korea24, will keep you updated on this matter. Indeed. So that is proposed a 301, but we'll see if uh, they do stick with that or if there is a perhaps a slightly lower right. uh, hike uh, in the months to come during mm-hmm. their decision-making process. But uh, we'll see by next April. OK, let's move on to our second story. What do you have for us? Jo Jae-sung of Ansan OK Financial Group Utman Volleyball Team has admitted to trying to evade mandatory military service through a broker. On the night of the 28th, Jo made a post on social media saying, quote, I sincerely apologize. I have committed a sin so great that it cannot be forgiven, end quote. The opposite hitter, who previously went through a medical examination and was approved for active duty, falsely complained of epilepsy symptoms during a re-examination in February. He was then assigned to do social work as part of a supplementary service instead. The prosecution will investigate this false report allegations on January 5th. Yes, this revelation has caused quite a stir indeed. Uh, did the volleyball player explain why he used a broker in his apology? He did. In the social media post, Joe explained that his family suffered a substantial financial loss because of a scam, and to delay enlistment so that he could pay off the debts, the player found a broker online. Joe discovered through the broker how to be assigned to the supplementary service instead of active duty. When he wanted to cancel the contract at a later date, he was threatened with legal action. He ended his apology by saying that he will faithfully go through the prosecution's investigation and that he will regret his actions for the rest of his life. After the confession came out, OK Financial Group immediately excluded Cho from all training and games, and the Korea Volleyball Federation also plans to exclude him from the All-Star Game to be held on the 29th of next month. Right, it looks like the use of these sorts of brokers is quite common for those who are looking to dodge the military service. Right. So this has uh, 
come far more to light with this case. Is mm -hmm. there anything being done to find the brokers who do help these people evade their military service? The, South, uh, the Seoul Southern District Prosecutor's Office and the Military Manpower Administration have been investigating since the beginning of this month by forming a joint military evasion investigation team. Since then, the joint team was able to catch a broker and investigated them without a detention on charges of falsifying disease symptoms so that military service can be exempted or reduced. And just on the 21st of this month, a military service broker in his 40s was arrested on the same charges. The prosecution is currently investigating dozens of suspected evaders of military service by securing evidence such as money transactions, phone calls and medical re records from hospitals. Yes, there are other professional sports athletes apparently involved uh, in those investigations as well. So there could be more revelations that come to light in the coming days mm -hmm. as well. Let's uh, move on now to our final trending story for today and for the year. What are we ending on today? Right. So if you prefer sending text messages rather than talking on the phone, Welcome to the clan. You're one of us, the younger generation. Uh, recently, <laughs> the number of younger people feeling uneasy when talking on the phone is growing. It even has a name. It's a phenomenon called phone phobia, and it's happening not only in Korea, but also all around the world. Phone phobia refers to the anxiety felt by young people, especially the MZ generation, who are accustomed to exchanging short messages through social media when using their phones. The job-seeking site Alba Cheonggook conducted a survey of 2,700 people from from the MZ generation in September this year, results found that 29.9% of participants suffer from this phenomenon. So three out of 10 participants are afraid of calling. I think I'm in the middle somewhere. Uh, right. Sometimes I feel like texting is easier, mm -hmm. but then sometimes I feel uh, just a quick phone call just right. gets things out of the way quicker as yes. well. Uh, but as you said, it's not just, just happening in South Korea. This is a, a global phenomenon, right? Right. According to Business Insider, a U.S. economic media outlet, young employees working at companies are losing confidence in business calls due to this phobia, which then leads to inefficient communication, making a vicious cycle. Alison Papadakis, director of clinical psychology research at Johns Hopkins University, said, quote, Millennials and Gen Zers' primary means of communications are texting and instant messaging, so they have very little experience making phone calls. And because of this lack of experience, they're more likely to become anxious in those situations, end quote. Yes, general experience, but also professional experience. Of course, mm -hmm. uh, speak on the phone in a professional environment right. is very different as well. Mm -hmm. So what can be done to tackle this fear then? Well, there are consulting firms helping companies that uh, want to address the problem of their employees being afraid to make calls. This is not exactly a new phenomenon, as some firms have been around for 16 years. When consulting begins, employees must not send or receive messages with anyone for three days and must try to make phone calls to family members or close acquaintances. Can Canadian entrepreneur Mary Jane Copps, who runs a consulting firm, pointed out that the older generations had phones hanging on the walls <laughs> and learned to make and receive calls from a young age. And she also said that Gen Zers never had the opportunity. Copps added that one of the biggest fears they feel is not knowing what to say while they're on the phone. Yes, uh, this story has been trending in Korea because I think people find it interesting that the US, there are mm -hmm. these sorts of consulting firms right. offering these services. Yeah. And perhaps we might see something like that here <laughs> Probably. in Korea soon right. as well. OK, we'll wrap it up there for Korea Trending. As I said earlier, this is our last Korea Trending of the year. So, Diane, it's been great to have you with us today and uh, this year. And uh, we'll see you again in the new year. See you in New Year's. Ha Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs>
It's time now for a special end-of-year movie spotlight. Instead of reviewing some of the latest releases at the Korean box office and online, we're going to look back at the year in Korean cinema, and then our critics will announce their picks for best film, best director, actor, and supporting actor of the year. So let's bring those critics in now. First, I have to my right Jason Beshevace. Jason, hello. Hello, Jango. And to my left, we have Darcy Paquette as well. Darcy, hello. Hi, Jango. So, gentlemen, we're doing a sort of end of year awards ceremony. Then the Career Twenty Four Film Awards, if you will, if my <laughs> uh, memory serves me correctly. We skipped it last year, so this is a return of sorts. Now, before we get into the winners of the awards this year, Jason, perhaps you can first. Sum up what kind of year it's been for us, uh, for the industry as well. It seems to have been a bit of a mixed bag this year, shall we say. Although the numbers have been much better than last year, uh, we're still spending much. We were still spending much of the year emerging from the shadow of the pandemic, and the numbers are still well below the pre twenty twenty levels, right? That's right. So it's been a complex year uh, in terms of the figures. It swung from recovery one month to a drop in the figures the next. Uh, the roundup, of course, starring Madon Sok and also produced by him, um, got the industry back on track in May with a whopping 12.7 million emissions, <laughs> and uh, that you know generated a lot of enthusiasm um, and you know optimism. But the summer was a disappointment with the lackluster Alienoid, directed by Che Dong Un, emergency declaration. Um, but, you know, Hansen, um, Confidential Assignment 2, Hunt, The Witch Part 2, they did, did okay, modest business. Mm. Uh, many, many of uh, these films, of course, are sequels, or in the case of Hansen, it's a prequel. Um, and uh, there were some surprise hits, uh, The Night Owl uh, and also 645. Uh, but films like Confession, even Decision to Leave, I, you know, they're really well received, but uh, I would say they under, underperformed, at least if you compare it to how the films would have done Um, pre-pandemic films are playing for longer uh, opening weaker Top Gun Maverick was such a case in terms of the number of tickets sold 986.3 million tickets sold in the first 11 months uh, which is up 89.3% on last year but or the same period of last year but uh, worryingly they account for 48.3% of tickets sold in 2019 so you know higher ticket prices uh, streaming services are keeping people at home still. Right. Streaming, it seems, uh, might have had a particularly significant factor as uh, so many people, of course, signed up for streaming services during the pandemic. And also the uh, distinction between TV series and films are being blurred as well. Would you agree with that, Darcy? And has the industry changed of good then? Also, how do you describe the year in uh, Korean film this year? OK, I mean, I'd I'll start by saying that the industry never really stops changing. Like it's always a a process of changing, but you know, certain things will come along that'll kind of push that pace of change a bit faster. And certainly the pandemic was a really kind of skewed situation that, that pulled a lot to the, you know, the streaming services and uh, in terms of the format, you know, away from the feature film and towards the the series as Mm. the, the popular format. Um, and, you know, in order to bring that back, I mean, we do need a full recovery in the th- theaters and we haven't had that yet. Uh, one of the things that's in- interesting about the, you know, the relationship between these two is that it's often the same people going back and forth. Whereas before the pandemic, uh, you did have more of a kind of a OTT community or a 
TV community right. mm. and then a film community mm. with, you know, some people who, you know, particularly actors who went back and forth. But um, these days, a lot of directors are kind of trying their hand at both. And they're discovering that, you know, there are some advantages to, to TV. There are some things that they miss about film. Um, you know, long term, I think it's still kind of up in the air exactly how this is all going to play out in the end. Mm. Um, but, you know, financially, so much money is in the, the OTT corner. That, um, I mean, that's undeniably having an effect and it continues to have an effect. And even though, I mean, Netflix is losing momentum in the US, for example, to a certain extent, um, not so much in Korea because Korea has this big international market that it's been taking advantage of. So, so yeah, I mean, the, I mean, that's the other big trend is that, you know, internationally there is a lot more economic potential than there ever has been before. Uh, so we're all just sort of waiting to see where where the pieces fall. But sure, yeah. The conclusion is everything is continuing to evolve as it always has done. Okay, let's turn to the awards now. Jason, can you quickly tell us how you decided on these uh, winners for best film, best director, actor, and supporting? Sure. So there's a group of critics, including ourselves, who are very much part of the show. Mm. Uh, Molly Kim, Mark Raymond. And Piers Conran, and uh, together, yeah, we voted on each of the categories. So, best film, uh, best director, actor, and supporting actor. And you know, quite simply, the, the final winner was you know the one with the most votes. <laughs> <laughs> Not really very complicated. <laughs> okay, but it was a collective vote with yes. our panel of critics. So, Darcy, then kick us off with best supporting actor. Who was our panel's pick for best supporting actor? I mean, we had a number of different you know, films or actors who receive votes, but we selected Nana for her role in the the thriller Confession, uh, which is a a remake of a Spanish film directed by Yoon Jung-sook. And, you know, she's one of many singers who have been very successful in moving into acting, uh, like Imuna and others. And, you know, in Confession, she plays this young woman who's involved in an extramarital affair and a hit-and-run accident, uh, it's one of these films where we see kind of different scenarios play out on screen. And so even though she's playing the same role, she has to kind of show different sides of herself in mm. this one performance. And she did it so well. I think a lot of people were really impressed by that. Uh, and in general, you know, I think she just has a lot of momentum behind her these days. Uh, she had a big part in the series Glitch, directed by Nodok. And she will be back next year in the Netflix series Mask Girl. So uh, we'll continue to see her on the screen. So the singer and actor Nana is uh, picked for Best Supporting Actor for her performance in Confession or Chabek in Korean. Jason, any additional thoughts on the winner before we move on? Yes, uh, you know, I watched the film uh, a few months ago. I heard good things about it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, she shone in the film. The film actually is really quite good. Um, I, I, you know, it's really engaging. Uh, but her performance was, uh, it resonated and uh, it was surprisingly good. And uh, I say surprisingly uh, because actually, you know, when I, I see K-pop stars making that transition, you know, I, I, some of them work, some of them don't. Mm. And uh, sh- she works you know, really well in film and also in series. I'm very keen to see what she gets up to next. Uh, lots of layers in that performance. Uh, just really engaging film and a big reason for that was her her role in it. OK, now on to Best Actor. Back to you, Jason. We don't have a drum roll as such, but uh, let's just say drum roll. <laughs> Who <laughs> has been selected? 
Yeah, uh, this one was a difficult one. Again, we had a, you know, a few different uh, potential candidates here, but, but in the end, we decided on IU. Uh, again, a singer uh, that's made that transition. Um, you know, Ejian uh, for her quite, you know, frankly stunning performance uh, in Hirokazu Creator's Broker. Uh, you know, ever since the film premiered in Cannes in May, uh, she stood out for playing a mother who leaves her baby at a uh, baby box uh, at a church. Uh, and so, yeah, like I say, another uh, singer. What's really impressed me about IU is the decisions that she's made. Mm. Uh, she's obviously been h- hugely famous in Korea for, what, well over, you know, a decade. Uh, and so she could have easily got big parts in big films, but she didn't. She kind of uh, started in short films and, you know, independent movies. And of course, she's acted in dramas. But, you know, her journey into kind of feature movies has been a slow one. And she's made some really, really smart moves, including uh, starring in this film. So, uh, yeah, she's got a lot of talent going forward. Um, and I think she could be, you know, a major figure in the film industry going for, yeah, going ahead. Indeed, Darcy, I understand that you wrote the English subtitles for this film. So I'm sure you watched her performance closely. What did you take away from it? Yeah, I mean, it is um, it is a strong performance. Uh, this is a, a film that's divided audiences a little bit in Korea. Uh, but but I do like the film. It's um, And she's really at the very center of the film. You know, it's um, before the film came out, you know, I looked at the cast and I figured, okay, Song Kang-ho, Kang Dong-wan and Bae Do-na. And, uh, I was surprised that in, in many ways, you know, it's her performance that's at the center of the mm. film and that holds things together. And you know, it's a lot of responsibility to take on a role like that. And she, um, you know, clearly was ready for it. So uh, like Jason, I'm looking forward to seeing kind of more acting from her in the future. Sure. She held her own against those uh, acting greats in cinema, uh, Korean cinema as well. So are you a winner for best Congratulations. actor Congratulations. for this year? <laughs> <laughs> OK, now moving on to uh, best director. Back to you, Darcy. Who was chosen this year? Okay, we went with a debut director this time, and it's Kim Se-in for her debut film, The Apartment with Two Women, uh, which is a really intense film about the relationship between a mother and daughter, a very fraught relationship between the two of them. And the film premiered in Busan last year in the New Current section, and it won an award there, traveled to a lot of different film festivals, including Berlin and Edinburgh and Udine. Uh, and then it was released in, in theaters here, um, this fall and it's attracted a lot of attention because you know there's a real intensity to the film mm. uh, you can there's a real kind of intelligence behind the filmmaking as well um, she doesn't take the obvious choices about how to present things um, and and yeah I mean people are uh, really curious to see what she does next she's just 30 she graduated from Korea's top film school she makes me very very envious yeah. <laughs> make us all feel a bit old yes yeah. okay so the best director goes to Kim Sein for The Apartment with Two Women 같은 속옷을 입는 두 여자 is the Korean title uh, Jason I remember uh, from your review when it was re- when it was released just last month you too were very fond of this film oh yeah it's terrific uh, what a debut just so well directed so well written she gets these incredible performances uh she's clearly a major talent uh, going forward in terms of directing um yeah i'm very keen to see what she gets up to next 
uh, she's raised raised the bar pretty high. <laughs> uh, I'll be curious to see whether she, you know, moves into kind of uh, commercial films or even miniseries. She's clearly going to be approached by, you know, a lot of producers because she's just incredibly talented. Right, so Kim Tain, a name to look out for. OK, we now come to the highlight, the best Korean film of 2022. What has our panel of critics chosen? So, building up the suspense <laughs> with our metaphorical drum rolls again... Jason, what is the Korean film of 2022? Well, it has to be just, it has to be Decision to Leave, you know. Uh, I think, I don't <laughs> think many people will be surprised to hear that. Pak Chung-wook's master, masterwork, just, oh, I mean, wow, it's... Uh, was it a unanimous decision on my oh, panel? Yeah, it was, everyone. Yeah, it was easy. <laughs> it was easy. It's, it's uh, I think it's one of his best films, uh, it's it, yeah. These directors, they keep yeah. The, I say direct. You know these uh, Korean authors. You know Park Chan Wook, Bong Joon Ho, Lee Chang Dong, Naung Jin. You know they're just producing some of their best best films. They perfected their craft, and um, you know their films are traveling overseas in a big way now. Um, and the writing, uh, yeah, the directing. It's beautiful. It's funny. It's got so many layers to it. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's 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 very Pachangook. Uh It's also very Hitchcock, um, but but he very much does his own thing, um, and the performances are fantastic. Uh, I've only seen it once. I'm eager to see it again, uh, but yeah, it's by far the best film of 2022. Darcy, this was another film that you translated the subtitles for. What was it like to work on this film and see it premiere? Can win Best Director, then attract Oscar buzz. Does it bring back perhaps memories of uh, Parasites and the run that film made back in 2019 as well, which you translated as well, of course? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it does. Um, it does remind me a bit of Parasite just in the sense that, you know, this is a, a really accomplished film that um, in the past, I think, you know, if it had been released 10 years ago, then uh, probably wouldn't have had quite the international uh, reception that it does now. Uh, Parasite really kind of bulldozed a door <laughs> into the into the international market and uh you know so this film it's you know it's a really amazing film it it's in some ways a little perhaps hard to market mm. um or you know it's not an easy film to understand always in the first viewing and uh, but but it's so beautifully done and it's so kind of romantic and engaging and it makes you want to watch it multiple times just mm. to mm. so that you can uh, it kind of catch all the details. It kind of defies genre as well a little bit. It really does, yeah. Mm. Yeah, Park Hill is a detective like no other detective in a Korean <laughs> film I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that was Decision to Leave or Heojil Kyojshim in Korean by Park Chanuk. That is our Korean film of 2022. <laughs> winner, indeed. <laughs> so that wraps up our review of 2022. Let's squeeze in a quick review, preview, sorry, of 2023 before we go. Jason, looking ahead to next year, what are you looking forward to? Any predictions for how the industry will shape up, very briefly? Yeah, um, it'd be interesting to hear what Darcy thinks, but Imsinay's Point Man, that's released in January, very uh, keen to see that. First time a, film, a female director has helmed a feature with a budget of 15 billion won or more. We've got Ye Young's colonial f- film uh, Phantom as well. Curious to see Kim Sung Soo's Soul Spring about the events in the late 1970s. Uh, there's a big uh, bottleneck of, of releases, around 80 or so. So I, th- I think we'll see some films head to streaming platforms. The match, of course, starring Lee Byung-an and Yoo Ain has will be released on Netflix. 
Um, in the summer, we've got some, potentially some big films. Kim Sung-un's Ransom, set in Beirut, uh, and Kim jong was uh, The Moon. And speaking of sci-fi, Yun Sang-woo's uh, Netflix film, Jungie, drops on the service in January. And I think there's an interesting sci-fi trend going on sure. in Korean content at the moment. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how that kind of um, manifests over the next uh, 12 months. Uh, and Darcy mentioned how a lot of directors are kind of migrating into miniseries and back again into film. And we've got a lot of uh, di- film directors helming series, including Shin Yun Shik's uh, Uncle Sam Shik, starring Song Gang Ho in his, his first drama, I think, and a whole number of other series directed by uh, filmmakers. So it's going to mean it's it's going to mean it's going to be very busy for me because <laughs> you know fa- trying How to w- yeah w- watching one series i have to i have to sure. find a week you know uh, whereas with a movie I, it's just two hours so uh, it's going to be a busy year t- 2023 indeed we look forward to it we'll wrap it up there jason darcy thank you for that roundup and for all your reviews this year as well our thanks goes out to our other critics mark molly and pierce for their contributions as well thank you gentlemen we hope you have a great end of the year and see you back in 2023 yes happy new year happy new year take care This is violinist Itiyun, concertmaster at Staatskapelle Berlin. You are listening to Korea 24. And we finish up now with our closing segment, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers. And for that, our staff editor, Richard Larkin, has joined us in the studio one last time for the year. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. OK, so where are we headed to first? Well, we are coming up to the new year. So Kim Hae-yeon's article in the culture section of the Korea Herald names the best places to see the first sunrise of 2023 in South Korea. Yes, this is a very popular activity here in Korea, watching mm. that first sunrise of the year. So then what are the prime spots people will be travelling to? Beaches or on top of mountains. In Seoul, major mountains like Namsan Park and Bukhansan National Park are popular locations for people who want to see the sunrise. Take in mind you have to hike or walk quite a bit to get to the top of these places. <laughs> also something to consider is that the sun is expected to come out between 7.26am and 7.40am. Personally, it wouldn't be something that I would want to do, <laughs> but it's great for people who like hiking. Indeed, yes, it does take quite a lot of effort to (laughs) first walk up the mountain, but also get up early enough uh, to do that as well. What about people who want a more relaxed viewing, though? Well, they would need to head to the east coast. Gangwon province is mainly mentioned in the article. There will be a countdown ceremony and fireworks near Jongdongjin Beach. Other popular spots like Sokcho and Yangyang won't have any events, so that is something to think about. If you want more options for New Year's Eve events, then you need to take a look at Busan. Right, so this is New Year's Eve going yes. into New Year's Day. Yes. So uh, and the clock strike midnight. Uh, and Busan, of course, is home to two of the most famous beaches in Korea, Gwangali mm-hmm. Beach and Hyundai Beach. And they both have events. Gwangali Beach has drone shows and K-pop performances from 10pm on New Year's Eve, so Saturday night. There are only 1,000 seats, though, and it's first-come, first-serve basis. First basis. For Hyundai Beach, there will be a countdown event and several performances from 11pm. 
Yes, it sounds like it'd be quite special to bring in the new year, uh, ring in the new year uh, on the beach. Although I imagine it can get quite cold, cold as well, yes. so do wrap up warm if you do plan to go. Okay, let's uh, move on to our next story. What do you have for us? It's an interesting article from Ihedin that comes from the weekend section of the Korea Times. It takes a look at the history of the Millennium Hilton Seoul as the five-star hotel will close on the thirty-first of December. Yes, so this is a landmark building that mm. is closing. It is. Uh, Known by many for being the country's first luxury hotel built by a Korean architect, and mm. I'm sure that means it has decades of history. Yes, and according to the article, many historic moments took place at the hotel since it first opened in 1983, especially important political moments. For example, former President John Duhuan enjoyed having banquets at the hotel. He even held a ceremony there to end his seven-year presidential term in 1988. North Korean envoys stayed at the hotel when they came in 2009 to pay condolences after former President Kim Dae-jung's death. And in 1997, a memorandum of understanding for a $35 billion bailout fund for Korea was signed at the hotel. Okay, so there is history there, but uh, why is the hotel closing then? That's because it has changed owners. The plan is to demolish the building and create a new complex by 2027. According to the article, scholars have expressed regret over the loss of the landmark building. Kim Sung-hee, in particular, a professor of architecture at Seoul National University, even said it's like melting down a historic Buddhist bell from the Shilla dynasty to make an iron pot. Yes, well, for the general public, uh, I don't reckon it'll perhaps feel that drastic, mm. uh, but there will be some sadness uh, at the same time. It was a landmark bill, as he said, but at the same time, there's going to be some anticipation for what is built there next as right. well, so it'll be interesting to see. Okay, we'll wrap it up there for Morning Edition Preview. Richard, thank you for those stories, and we'll see you back in 2023. Thank you. Happy New Year. And that is where we bring our show to a close for today and for the year as well. As usual, on the last Friday of the month, we'll be taking our regularly scheduled break tomorrow, meaning today was our last show of the year. So I'd like to thank our team, all our guests and contributors, as well as our listeners, of course, for another great year. And we look forward to bringing you more news, reviews and reviews from Korea in 2023. I've been your host, Kwon jang Thank you, as always, for listening. And we hope everyone has a happy new year. Goodbye. Yeah.